It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the programme tonight... Our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal, from Forrestal Wine Merchants, returns to share his recommendations and suggestions for Christmas drinks. And Serena O'Reilly shares her plant-based journey and has details about how you can get your hands on her free collection of plant-based recipes just in time for Christmas. But before we hear from Ron and Serena, a reminder that you can make contact with me by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. And I'm also on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So Christmas is fast approaching and many of us are thinking about the menu in its entirety for the big day. But what goes best with the turkey and ham? Well, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants joins us now with his recommendations and suggestions for Christmas drinks. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome to the programme and of course we always look forward to talking to you on the show because of your wine knowledge and expertise and it's a long time since we have spoken to you and particularly at Christmas, this is the time of year when people really want to put their best foot forward with their the purchasing of wine either for themselves to have at home over the festive season or to gift to other people so let's start off with the christmas dinner or christmas eve what do you recommend that we have plenty of in house for this time of the year hi sharon um yes that's yeah, a great time of year it, it, people tend to concentrate on, on wine this time of year a little more than they do probably for the rest of the year um, red tends to take over just because it's the it's the kind of atmosphere, it's the weather, it's the fire, it's all those kind of things lend to drinking red wine as opposed to white. But you need both, uh, particularly for the Christmas Day. Christmas Eve is not a traditional wine event. Um, it tends to be more of a of a few pints in your local maybe and uh, midnight mass at half seven and then or whatever else your your tradition is. Um, but Christmas Day is, is, is a phenomenal one. And the key is, I always find, is not to uh, overdo it on the alcohol level because the alcohol level is very high uh, on some of the products. If you're drinking them during the day, uh, like at one o'clock in the afternoon, so it's important to, to keep to watch those, not to be drinking anything around 14 or 15%, which you'll find easily these days as all the alcohol levels are rising. Well, just on your point about Christmas Eve, I said this to somebody recently, I actually said it to John Edwards, who you know well in the mustard seed, that I think the Eastern European communities have really cracked it in terms of celebrating Christmas and having the Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve as opposed to on Christmas Day. Like for me growing up, the whole midnight mass and all of that, we would have had the ham. The ham was the mm-hmm. centerpiece on Christmas Eve. It would have been ready and midnight mass and maybe the ham and a few glasses of whatever to go to it and you can kind of I feel lose the run of yourself on Christmas Eve that then makes Christmas Day a bit of a hard slog so I, I'd say hats off to the Eastern Europeans that they go to mass they come home they have their dinner they have their few drinks and then they're not under as much pressure on Christmas Day to get the the Christmas dinner out at a certain time and in a certain condition. Yes, yeah, you know, Christmas uh, Christmas dinner for people who, you know, there's probably two different types of people for Christmas dinner. It's the people who get overly stressed about it and think about it for weeks. And then there's the, the, the other people, which are, some of them are in catering, kind of wrap it up in a few hours on, a, on Christmas morning. So it's, it's, you know, it's best not to stress out about these things. Um, the people who are coming tend to be uh, fairly accommodating when it comes to, to anything. And this year, at least, you're going to have some people at your Christmas dinner, which is fantastic, because last year it was a very tricky event. Um, we were just shut down. Um, we had a fantastic month of December last year in 2020 with restaurants, and then they just got uh, nailed with a week to go before Christmas that they were shut down. Most of them were shut down by the 21st, 22nd, and didn't see a customer again until May in some cases so it was a very tricky time for them. 
definitely um, a, a very tough time for, you know, people and families and, of course, for business. So this year, I think people will be, be going all out. So if I was to ask you to recommend something to go with a Christmas ham, for example, what would you recommend to go with a pork type dish? Well, if you're having it, particularly if you're having it on, on the, the night before uh, and it was just a ham dish, which is a, a ham is a pretty delicate meat, um, although there's some very strong flavours around it, pretty delicate meat, something nice and light and red. Um, I had a bottle of Beaujolais Village recently, uh, the last couple of days, which is a really right uh, gamay red grape um, from Beaujolais in Burgundy. Beautiful drink, can be served slightly chilled um, as they do in France. Beautiful, not alcohol isn't too high. But it's a super drink, particularly for people who drink a, a lot of white wine and may not venture into red that often. It's the perfect stepping stone. Uh, other than that, you could drink Pinot Noir, which tends to be pretty light as well. Uh, some wines from Italy, which is like Primitivo, not overly heavy either. I'd stay away from everything like Malbec, Shiraz, Cabernets, even our blends of Cabernet and Merlot, because they'll tend to be pretty heavy going. So they will much better than for, for those when you're eating red meat or when you're Want to have a nice glass with maybe the, the Christmas dinner, which has an awful lot of flavours going on, which is important to get something really, really nice at that point. Yeah, because a lot of people would say that turkey can be a very bland meat. It's everything that goes with it that kind of lifts it up. It's the cranberry sauce, it's the gravy, it's the stuff, and it's the roasties, the vegetables and everything. So we've we've talked before about the, the mm. red wines and the white wines you would recommend to go with the, the turkey. So just remind us what you have this year that you, you think people should look for. Well, uh, the, the, what we found in the last, um, since people have started, um, um, you know, drinking more at home and they've been shut down, they haven't been allowed to go to restaurants, uh, people has, uh, taste has varied a lot. And we found that uh, Chardonnay is making a big comeback, uh, particularly in the, the French style of Chardonnay, uh, and particularly the unoaked ones, which is like the Petit Chablis, um, the Bourgogne's, uh, which have no oak at all, which aren't that kind of traditional Australian-looking Chardonnay, big golden one that people's taste in Ireland doesn't really suit. But they're going really well. Um, there's a few new products, kind of not new, but they're, they're fashionable now that would have been uh, there before but wouldn't have been bought in any kind of quantities, like Picpoul uh, de Penne, which is from the south of France, beautiful product. Uh, Alberino in Spain, which is hugely popular at the moment. Like, it's probably one of the most go-to good quality whites you're going to find out there at this stage. And for people who have been drinking a lot of Sauvignon Blanc but may not venture to Chardonnay, it's somewhere mid-ground there, kind of very fresh and citrusy, um, but not that acidic like Sauvignon Blanc is. It's a much more smoother drink. It suits Christmas dinner particularly well, where you'd have something like smoked salmon or maybe shellfish or something to start with. Perfect, because that's the part of Spain it's from. That's, that's what it's produced for, is that kind of food. And of course, we had Leslie Williams on the show recently and he did a couple of events with your good self. And he was saying that in in Ireland, the, the consumption of Spanish wine per capita is probably one of we are we are really um, passionate about our Spanish wines here. Yes. And that's all to do with the fact that uh, Irish people's go to holiday destination is Spain in most cases and has been for years which means that when you're in Spain, you're picking up, uh, you know, you're seeing brands that you recognize, like the Riojas, the, the Reds for years, you had Marcus de Caceres, Marcus de Riscal, Muga, all those. And when you come back here, then that's what people tend to, to, to move towards. Um, the whites wouldn't have been as popular um, for years, but now they are. Uh, we have Godello, uh, Verdejos, oh yeah, huge range of whites in Spain, which are excellent, really, really good. Now, they're not cheap at all. And, and I'd recommend that you do actually spend, you know, around the, if you're buying in a, in a, in a retail setting, I, I recommend that you spend somewhere between 12 to 15 euros at least uh, for those, because there is some cheaper products out there. Where just, just You don't get the bang for your buck there. Just spend that couple of extra euros. It makes absolutely all the difference to the unit. And, and, and don't buy them just because there's a nice flashy label on it, because a lot of the time, there's a reason that the marketing people got behind that and put in that kind of labels because the juices inside may not be as 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 quality driven as some of the other products. But just look them up. For something you haven't recognised before, do a quick little search and you'll get ratings on it in thirty seconds. It'll tell you. So that's yeah. So just on the label in there, it's very much a case of don't judge a book by its cover. Oh, absolutely. You know, we've seen it for years uh, in the trade. If you notice. 
uh, that only works in retail because it doesn't work in restaurants. Uh, the wine, uh, we're a non-trade company, really. We don't do any retail because you don't see the product, which means that the the it's it's the it's the winery, it's the reputation that has to sell it, uh, in opposed to looking at the label shelf. Uh, so absolutely, but just to spend a bit of time and just for a bit of advice you know you'll find some give us a call if you want um you know we can do some really nice mixed boxes and we do a lot of that kind of thing for christmas which will take you over the complete christmas you know where you'd have some maybe cav at the start i know that you've had some cav recently that we have um it's very very good product like it's just uh, prosecco is is fantastic and we probably have 12 or 14 different proseccos at this point but we have a really good cava, um, a cava reserva, which is a little bit drier than uh, Prosecco is, a bit more champagne-like, um, but a smashing product. And just if you're having a glass, something familiar, you're trying to walk around on Christmas Day and entertain people, it's just perfect. Very easy to drink now, I, I will say that. It's, a, it's very easy to get through it, but it's just to have a glass of it is lovely. Really, really nice. That is the challenge, of course. It can be very, I find that the bubbles are very easy to drink. And I would imagine that at this time of the year, in terms of gifting champagne, like bottles of champagne, your Veuve Clicquot and your Moe Chandon, they're all very popular as well. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a move towards that again. Um, there's a huge move towards European wines in the, last, in the last year and a half or so, we found. But champagne has made a real comeback in the last six or eight months, um, mainly because it's not particularly in restaurants because... Champagne in restaurants tends to be quite expensive, but people who are who are buying it for themselves for home use will splash out. Now it's, you're going to spend fifty euros on a bottle of champagne. That's the reality. Um, but you could spend fifty, you could spend sixty. Like you get right up to Laurent Perrier Rosé, which is you know up around the the you know eighty eighty five euros a bottle. But these are iconic uh, champagnes. Just. Beautiful to have a glass, but just to have a glass. And the thing about champagne is that you'll probably get about six and a half, maybe seven glasses even out of a bottle of champagne if you don't overfill them. So works very well for a small group. And can I ask you about glasses, the types of glasses that champagne should be served in? Because in the olden days, let's say, they were cups. They were like the very... Saucers, yeah. Yeah, is that what they're called? Saucers. Mm. And now you see flutes more like the taller type. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the saucer type ones are nearly coming back, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're, they're just the glassware. I think it's a cocktail thing that has driven them back as well because they're actually used in quite a few cocktails, if you'll notice. Uh, so that you'll have uh, venues that will have that saucer. The issue I have with, with the saucer uh, champagne glass is that champagne works with the bubble coming from a point in the bottom of the glass. If you have a tulip glass, they'll tend to have a little etching in the bottom of the glass, which allows the bubble to move from that. So you'll see one clean uh, line of bubble uh, coming up through it. The issue with the saucers is that there tends to be a, a number of those lines of bubbles coming up. And when that's the case, you're losing, you're losing that freshness all the time. And that's why people move towards tulip um, um, flutes, probably, uh, you know, for the last 20 years, really, that's the go-to for everybody. Plus, they're a smaller glass, and that's important because if you're trying to get your, your value out of a bottle of nice champagne, you're only pouring probably 100 ml. Uh, in opposed to a wine glass, you could be pouring 200 ml, depending on how generous you are. So, you know, that, I think that works as well. Plus, nobody wants to, to, to drink a half bottle of champagne before they have their Christmas dinner because they'll be asleep by four o'clock. So... Yeah, it's, it's a marathon, not a it sprint. Is. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we've talked about the bubbles, we've talked about the reds and the whites, and rosé has very much come into the limelight this year, thanks to one particular brand called Whispering Angel. Oh, yes, Whispering Angel has actually has probably um, been the, the leader in this market of good roses um, from Provence in the south of France. Um, you know, it's not cheap at all, um, and but it has very high profile. Um, everybody knows it um, because it's had a huge amount of of, uh, of celebrities involved in it, um, uh, using it and being seen to use it. Beautiful product. We have a number of other ones, which are, uh, we've from the fact, which is a super product. Absolutely super, probably half the price, uh, but a fantastic product. Um, so it is, and it goes really well. And people are drinking rosier right into the winter now. We wouldn't. Three or four years ago, we'd have sold a bottle of rosé after the October bank holiday weekend, that stretch, and it'd be probably Easter before you'd sell another bottle. 
But now it's selling all the time. Restaurants are buying it every week, same as they'd buy any other white that would be on the list. And it's a drink for people now. They go in and order a bottle of rosé, um, which is great. Yeah. And I, I mean, I because it's pink and it's rosé, I would very much associate it with the dessert. But you do have lots of dessert-type wines that are available. Yes. Now, that's that, that takes a bit of... of uh, a bit of adventure on people's behalf, really, more than anything else. Dessert wines are, are late harvested. They tend to be quite rich, um, sweet, syrupy almost. Um, but they're to drink in very small quantities. Um, the measure for a, accepted measure for a, a, a glass of dessert wine is about 75 mil, which is pretty small. And the idea is when you get to the end of the meal and you're having something that's uh, not Christmas pudding or that, because that's too heavy altogether, but something a bit lighter, maybe that would have fruit in it at some point, you know, kind of a fresh fruit whatever it may be, pavlovas, that kind of thing, works particularly well with that. Lemon tarts, that kind of something that's nice and uh, and has a bit of sharpness to it. And these kind of uh, wonderful, uh, fruity, ripe fruit glass, it's kind of golden in colour. Uh, we have ones from Sauternes in Bordeaux. We have Moscow de Bonne Venise. We have ones from uh, Australia and New Zealand, which are a bit lighter, um, but beautiful products. You buy them in a half bottle because nobody uses a full bottle. For a half bottle, you're going to get you're going to get ten small glasses out of it for people. So even one half bottle will cover your uh, your that stage of the meal. Plus, it kind of finishes the meal off, just great. Because if if you have red wine as the as the second wine when you're going to it after the white, people tend to drag out and maybe drink the red for a little bit too long. So at least when you have a dessert wine, you have a finishing point, and then people can sit down, relax, and and take a break for a little while maybe. Or you give them the tea and coffee and say good luck and thanks. <laughs> the taxi, uh, yeah, the um, yes, yeah, absolutely. It's always good to have a finish point. You know, it's it's what you do after that is your own business. But it's it's uh, it's always good to have a completion to a meal if you can. Absolutely. Now, my challenge at this time of the year is I'll be texting you later with my order, and you'll probably deliver that by the end of the week, and then. By next week, I'll be ready to order again, even though I will have ordered for gifts and stuff like that. But no harm to stock up now before Christmas because there is the possibility of a minimum pricing regulation coming in in January next year. There is. This has been uh, this has been on the cards. Uh, it's been on. It's been legislated for um, years ago. Uh, never been brought in because of the. Um, the difference between the markets in the south and the north of Ireland, which the, the our government felt like if we introduce minimum pricing on all alcohol, then people will flock to the north because they don't have it um, and they can sell beer particularly quite cheaply. But we had to take the plunge at some point and it looks like Northern Ireland are going to be doing it a little bit later than us, probably about 12 months later than us. But it will put a minimum price on a bottle of wine, which is I think it's around six or seven sixty five uh, that kind of mark. Puts a minimum price on beer, which is going to be a massive jump um, for people who are used to buying a few cans of beer. You're going to see the price that almost double in some cases. Um, and everything will be affected. All spirits, everything will be affected. Yeah. And as you've told us so many times here on the programme, in that bottle of wine, so much of it is duty before mm-hmm. you get to the product, before you get to the packaging the, the labeling, the transport and everything. So, you know, that's why that you recommend that 12 to 15 euros minimum spend. Yeah, absolutely. Like, again, just to give you a quick uh, breakdown of it again. So if you're buying a bottle of wine for, for eight euros, by the time you take the the VAT um, and the duty off it, that's about five euros uh, gone immediately. Uh, so you're down to about three euros and that's for everybody. That's the retailer that's selling it to you for the company that imported it, for the person who produced it, the person who uh, supplied the bottle, the label, the crate that came in, the cardboard case. Just just think about the breakdown there, you know, just it's, it's and the wine itself, you know, so it's just tiny. Um, so quality has to be uh, sacrificed in some cases. So I, my view on it is that the, the dry goods to produce a bottle of wine sit at a certain price, um, and if eight euros doesn't really cover it. Um, so if you get to nine euros, you're probably there about just about. But if once, every time you add a euro after that, it's generally the the, uh, the winery that are getting that euro, which means that their their production quality goes up dramatically. Everything goes up. 
just because they can afford to, because they're getting a little bit more for it. So I, I'd suggest anything around the, the has to be plus 10 euros anyway at this stage. Um, but around the 12 to 15 is probably the best mark and the best value for money. Well, stand by, Ron, for a text with a big long list of things <laughs> I want to order from you. And of course, you do other things. You do you do all the gin brands and the vodka brands and the brandies, all those other um, spirits that people might want to buy as well to give to people. Like you have a huge selection there in the warehouse. Yeah, we have a big selection of gins, vodkas, um, uh, you know, uh, tequila, which is very popular now, um, Irish whiskey particularly. Irish whiskey has become just phenomenal uh, collector's items for some of them. Uh, like Middleton is just impossible to get at the moment. Absolutely impossible to get. Uh, allocation for all. We have sold a lot of Middleton in the past. Our allocation is probably about 10% of what it used to be. Um, just because so much has been sold to Asia, to the States, that they just don't have the product to sell anymore. But it's very interesting. People love it. People love collecting them. Uh, I'd be much more interested in people who actually drink them more than collect them. But um, I think that's where the real joy in these things are. But um, but yeah, all available. Um, and uh, it's it's a lovely package. And listen, if you can put a little package together for somebody that includes a nice bottle of whiskey, a couple of bottles of something sparkling and red and white, you know, that's that's a lovely gift to get. Covers a lot of a lot of uh, worries for people around Christmas. Absolutely. Well, listen, great as always to talk to you. Thanks so much for telling us all about that. If people want to find out more or get your contact details, the best place for them to go to is forestal.ie. Absolutely. Yeah, we have a Facebook page, Forestal Wine Merchants as well. Uh, you can be called anytime. I'm on the phone all the time. Um, or you'll see a van driving around. It may not be me driving the van most of the time, but, but uh, give us a call. Absolutely. Anytime. It was light. We'll take care of whenever you are out there and have a fantastic Christmas, Ron. Thanks, Sharon. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants joined us to share his recommendations and suggestions for Christmas drinks. If you're just tuning in now and you missed that, you might want to catch the best possible taste repeat on Wednesday mornings at 8am on West Limerick 102FM. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. So now we have the drinks menu sorted out what to do if we encounter a non-meat eater during the festive season. Serena O'Reilly is a qualified nutrition and health coach who lives a vegan lifestyle. And I spoke to her earlier this evening about her plant-based journey and found out about her free collection of Christmas recipes that will satisfy all tastes. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Serena, great to have you on the program this evening. And we're going to talk about plant-based recipes for Christmas. But before we get to that, I'm very interested in finding out a bit more about you and your journey because nobody is born a vegan or living on a plant-based diet, certainly not in Ireland anyway. So tell us a bit about when you made the transition from being a carnivore, say, to being a vegetarian. Thanks a million for having me, Sharon. I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it happened over a long period of time. Is like usually say nobody just goes vegan overnight. You know, it's usually a transitional period. So, um, yeah, for me, it was it kind of started back in 2012. Um, I was in Australia. Um, I was on a year working holiday visa. And trying to set myself up to stay there for a second year. And to do that, you had to work on a, you had to do some like farm work, rural work. And so I, myself and my partner, we both got work on a dairy farm. So two of us from Dublin, not used to farm life. We, um, we turned up, did not know what to expect. It was a farm. It was a dairy farm with 500 cows on it and milking twice a day. So we were thrown into the deep end. Um, but from there, it was kind of the eye opener to what, what you know, the 
animal agriculture, what what happens, you know, what's necessary to to do for the dairy industry and that type of thing. So anyways, um, I was still didn't go vegetarian right there and then. It was when I came home from Australia, kind of reflecting back on the experience and started settling to Ireland and kind of um, just became a little bit more aware of I call myself an animal lover um, and the foods that I were was eating just wasn't aligning with that for me. So I ended up giving up all meats and so meat, fish, chicken, all of that first. So I went vegetarian first. And so I still ate some dairy and some and some eggs. But it wasn't until um, 2017 that uh, so that was 2013 that I went vegetarian. It wasn't until 2017 that I started getting more into the nutrition side of things. So I start taking a big interest into health and into the foods that like really nourish the body. So I start reading a few books, watching a few um, documentaries, that type of thing. And so it was a book that helped me to um, make the transition to fully vegan or plant-based. And so I eliminated dairy and eggs were the last one for me. And so it was a process over time and, but yeah, so since 2017, I've just kind of been on my 2016, 2017 on a whole research journey. And the interest into health and led me to just changing career totally. I was in marketing before and I ended up um, changing career, going back to study um, in nutrition. So became a nutrition and lifestyle coach um, a few years ago and here I am now. I help people with who wants to transition, make that transition to a plant-based diet, and I help them to navigate navigate that themselves. And the few people that I've come across who are vegan, um, like vegan is a lifestyle. It's not a diet. It is a plant-based diet. But that transition from being a carnivore and and eating everything to be in um, a vegan, it does seem to go through those various stages, the vegetarianism being that that intermediary stage. Like I would imagine it is hard to change overnight. It is a step process. Absolutely. Um, because it's what we've always known. You know, we we've we've grown up, it's 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 um that's how we've grown up you know it's what we've always known and change change like change is never never easy um and especially when it comes to change and how you eat because it can be a whole new experience and when you go into the supermarket you look at everything completely different so um my yeah from for me and if we're working with any clients that come to me and want to start that transition, my thing is always take it at a slow pace, take it at a pace that works for you. Start and to focus on more so the addition of foods before you start eliminating foods. So the more plant foods you start incorporating in, the more you push out. But this like it kind of brings you to the whole vegan versus plant-based thing. So there is a difference. And um, so for me and my work, I work with people who, you know, want to transition to a plant-based diet. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean a plant-exclusive diet where you're just eating plant foods. Plant-based diets come in different variations. So you have your flexitarians who still, you know, where the majority, it, plant-based diet just means the majority of what you eat is made up of plant-based foods. So let's say 80 to 90% of your diet is plant foods and then it allows that little bit of room to incorporate other types of foods so if you want to still eat meat or a bit of dairy or eggs and stuff you have that space it's just not making up the the majority of your plate if it's more like a, a condiment or something to add flavor let's say um as opposed to it being the main meal. And then you have your vegetarians you have pescatarians um so it's it's all it all it's all down to what works for you whereas veganism is a lifestyle as you mentioned it's a lifestyle where it's elimination of all animal foods 
Um, it's not it's not a focus on health. It's focused on animal ethics. So um, it incorporates everything from the clothes you wear to the you know household products you buy, everything. So you're looking for the cruelty free vegan beauty like makeup and household supplies um so for myself i am vegan but um those that i work with it's it's more so focused on health and promoting better health through the power of plants and meat free monday is a movement in itself and it's about encouraging people to maybe exclude meat from their diet on one day of the week and, and i mean it isn't just about animal cruelty it's also about um sustainability as well and climate change and all of that and I mean forgive me now for saying like there's a lot of angry vegans out there there's there's some um advertising that I've seen that is really it, it to me it's a bit over the top you're not one of those vegans yeah, so I'm I'm a little bit more low key and there's different for me, there's different types of activism when it comes to um veganism. So there are those who, you know, are at the, the protests who, you know, <laughs> um who are quite who are quite loud about it and just wants, you know people to 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 give up meat overnight and um that's their way of doing it. For me, I do it through my work so through nutrition I um help people with I just help promote the benefits of a plant-based diet for their health and um, I help make it that bit more accessible for people to for them to know that it's it's not difficult and um, I help to relay the benefits and why why this is beneficial for you why it's beneficial why we have to be concerned like because I I feel as a nutritionist you can't um we can't advocate for the health of people without advocating for the health of the planet because without a healthy planet there's no healthy humans either and there's more and more research coming out and we're all becoming so much more aware of it that you know a huge part of climate change is attributed to animal agriculture so the more we reduce our intake of of animal foods the better it is for the planet the better it is for our own health and of course the better it is for the animals overall so and yeah I I I communicate the information in a little bit more of a gentle way and I said at the start of the interview that nobody is born vegan but that is probably a completely incorrect statement to make now given that you know you and your partner are both vegan um, having a plant-based diet and there's lots of other couples or families out there that do that as well so if they do have children they probably are born vegan so you know apologies if I've misled anybody um, about that but the nutrition side of it is hugely important because we do like I rely on meat and fish for my protein and for certain vitamins so if if I take that out of my diet, what would you recommend that I put into it to make sure that I'm getting enough protein and and, and vitamins such as iron, which is associated with red meat in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Well, your main your main sources of healthy. So I focus mainly on the health healthy plant proteins are the likes of your beans. Your, so your chickpeas, your black beans, your butter beans, um, your lentils. So you have green, red, brown lentils. Um, you have your your to- peas, guard, like the likes of garden peas. Um, your uh, tofu and tempeh. I know it's not a which are made from soybeans. I know it's not to everyone's taste, but there's so many different ways to cook them that people just aren't aware of. Yes, of course, straight out of the packet, they mightn't taste great or they might be a bit bland. But when you really know how to cook these foods, they are so like so good for health um, but also can taste taste really amazing. And when it comes to the likes of um, your iron, these foods that are high in protein, can also be high in in iron so the likes of the the white beans like your butter beans your lentils your there's also um you can get iron through um tofu and then your chickpeas um and bringing in your leafy greens leafy greens for me are like 
superfoods. You know, we hear that we hear that phrase superfood a lot, you know, and associated with these expensive, like exotic foods. But really for me, the the superfoods of the health world are the likes of your legumes and your leafy greens. Um, and the more of those that we can that we can take into our diet, the better. We're very lucky here in Limerick that we have um, a girl called Kira Brennan. She's Happy Food at Home, who is plant-based. And she's an artisan food producer. People will find her in the milk market. And she's part of the neighbour food markets as well. And she's great on social media. So she does lovely burgers and lasagnas and, you know, usual dishes, but there's just no meat in them, which is brilliant. And especially coming up to Christmas, there could be a vegetarian or a vegan taking part in the family dinner this year. Say, for example, a son or a daughter has maybe hooked up with somebody who is plant-based or somebody that calls and announces that they're plant-based. And one of the things that you have done this year to, to help people is that you've launched a collection of recipes, plant-based recipes specifically for Christmas and and you've drawn on your own experience of your first Christmas as um, a vegan or looking for plant-based dishes so go back in time to that first Christmas and were there people around you eating the usual festive fare such as turkey and ham oh yes I am back at night when I went vegetarian or gave up but gave up me um this plant-based movement was not a thing um it was not popular I think we had there was a couple of restaurants like like Cornucopia and Govinda's in in Dublin that that that's all I really knew there um, and they've been around for decades um so yeah when I went uh plant-based eliminated meat there was some people that, of course, it was just me, myself and my partner. Luckily, he he did it at the same time as me. So it was nice to, for two of us to do it together. But for the rest of the family and when I was having Christmas dinner with the parents, um, my mom was the cook in the house. And to tell her that I wasn't having any of her turkey or ham, it's like, you know, a rejection of her love, you know, because her love goes into food and she takes pride in feeding us the foods that she cooks. She loves cooking. And to tell her that I wasn't having any of her turkey or ham was was quite was very hard. That's probably the, the hardest part for me was not giving up the food was the was 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 the people um, and to try and communicate in a way that this was not nothing to do with her or her foods but it was just a, a personal choice and um instead of trying to focus on everything focusing on everything that I couldn't eat I tried to turn it to okay well these are all the things I can still have you know I can I can still have all the roasted vegetables and I can make a lentil loaf or a nut loaf you know and I, I got her to help me with that so it was trying to bring her back into it and not just a isolate isolate myself from the situation it's like to to really ask for her support with it um, and that was the hard that that for me I find that can be the hardest thing for for a lot of people can be just getting that support from others around them to be accepting of of the way they eat now and um, my mom <laughs> on Christmas day turned around to me and said oh would you not just you know take a break from your diet for one day it's Christmas <laughs> and to try and communicate that it, it's not a diet this is you know the reason reasons behind the strong reasons behind it um but this is an ongoing thing this is not this is not a, a diet <laughs> I think yeah there's loads of education there for other people because it'd be like but well, sure you can have the roast potatoes but if you're vegan you can't have the roast potatoes if they're made with goose fat for example or sure have a little bit of gravy well you can't have the gravy if it's made with the juices or it's not that you can't have it you choose not to have yes. yeah. it's made with the juices of of the bird so um, whilst you have a very good understanding of what you are happy to eat, others around you maybe don't get it all of the time. Yeah. And like, I mean, compared to nine years ago, now it's just becoming such a like with the I mean, I walk in. I, I just kind of took note of the last time I was in the supermarket of 
you know, the plant-based ranges and everything that the uh, everything that they have there and the advertising from supermarkets too. Um, and it just made me smile because it's incredible the amount of plant-based options now. Um, if, even if you don't want to cook, you can pick up your, you know, if, if you want to go for the, the, the meat alternatives, you know, you can get your vegan turkey and stuff in, you can, you know, pick up all those, you can cook your roasted vegetables with plant plant butter you know flora have this whole plant-based range of butters and so it's becoming so much and they're even bringing out the blocks of butters now you know to to make it that bit more like and like what we've always known so it's like it's becoming so much easier to just substitute out things now and swap it in as opposed to oh eliminate and then I have to cook everything from scratch and it's it's not like that anymore but for me I still loved I've, I've gotten so much more since going plant-based I've become so much more interested in food and interested in what goes into my body now um, and so I love cooking from scratch I love cooking um, simple foods nothing too complicated like a lentil loaf or a nut loaf where it's just you don't even need food processors or anything like that you know you just mix it all together put it in a baking tin into the oven and there's so much nutrition in it but still so much flavor um, and yeah, like for with the meat alternatives, it's it's really geared. It's not they're not geared towards. So you have your, you know, the vegan sausage range and you have, you know, the vegan turkeys and all of that sort of stuff. It's not really geared towards people who are vegan already, even though some um some of us might want to buy those products still um it's more so to help people with the transition over to be like i just want to find something that taste that looks the same that tastes similar that's the similar in price and then you know i'm happy to i'm happy to try these these new new foods and before we look at your recipes in more detail what is your experience now of, of dining out? Because you mentioned a couple of vegetarians through vegan restaurants that have been in Dublin for a long time now and were kind of very much the, the market leaders, so to speak. But what is your experience now going out to restaurants? Do you find that you have more options? Because I know from talking to Kira Brennan from Happy Food at Home, she always feels or her experience used to be now I haven't spoken to her in a few years but her experience would have been that whenever she went into a restaurant that she just was never blown away with the options which would have been few and far between yeah and um, so for yeah compared to it to years ago as I said there was just those couple of old school vegetarian restaurants and uh, um, that you know that that's all there really was and you go into a main a main restaurant and all you're all you're presented with is the garden salad you know and it's like nobody salad is great as a side to a meal but for me it's not the main it's not a main meal um so I compared with now it's just I mean if if there's so many like plant-based restaurants themselves plant-based pop-ups you know the food trucks all of that I'm down in Wexford does like food truck over in Waterford does restaurants now or cafes that are even presenting like vegan and vegetarian menus separate menus to their actual to their actual menus which is incredible so you're presented with like a range of starters a range of mains and a range of desserts to choose from so it's no longer just just one vegan option on the menu or plant-based option it's like you're getting full menus in some places and then if if does if there's not something in like let's say you're you know if you're going somewhere and they're not known to have these these options for me I just give them a call and say listen I'm going to be going there tonight with some friends um I'm, I'm I'm vegan I'm plant-based I'm you know uh, is there is there anything that you can do and you know, 99% of the time they will throw something together for you um, because it's really, really simple. I think giving them the heads up is really important, isn't it? And getting in touch yeah. beforehand just to let them know. 
Yeah, and as I said, like you know, there's there's some of them that I I even had a went to a pizzeria and and I I just said, can I have the pizza without the cheese? You know, and they're um I had rang up ahead and they were like, oh, if you gave us a couple of days notice, we we would have gotten vegan cheese in for you. And I'm like, wow, that's going above and beyond for you now, um, which is which is really great. So I really don't struggle um with eating out. I think it's um it's become so much more acceptable and so much more normal and I think it's it's opening up up it's opening up um gateways for others to try these options too because I've had family members being like okay I'm gonna get the beyond burger you know the vegan beyond burger and try it and see what it's like so um yeah food's becoming a lot more exciting well look let's talk a bit more about your your recipe book how many recipes are in it yeah, so there's 10, 10 recipes in the book. Um, I just wanted to create something that um, that was simple for people. That if, like, let's say if it's their first plant-based Christmas and they're like, oh, I don't know where to start. And as you say, there might be milks and soups that are usually made or does, you know, what do I replace the turkey and ham? I don't want to buy the, the vegan turkeys. Um, or I, you know, what do I eat for? I love dessert. You know, I'd love something that's yummy that everyone around me loves too. Um, so I created this book just based on all the meals that I've eaten throughout the years and some of my favorites um, from the starters, like, you know, there's a miso mushroom soup in there. It's really simple to make um, a length, like different types of, I put three different types of mains in there to replace the turkey or ham. So your lentil loaf and a stuffed butternut squash um, and a seitan. What, what I noticed with like, what are the mistakes that some people can make when, you know, they are transitioning to a plant-based diet or, um, or they are experiencing their first Christmas as they eat everything else on the plate and just eliminate the turkey or ham without replacing it. But I find when, uh, from a nutrition standpoint, it's important to incorporate protein. And um, so some sort of protein on your plate, because that's what makes you feel satisfied after a meal, because if you don't have that protein, you know, you're going to feel quite hungry or you're going to start craving things uh, very soon after. So um, it was important to me to incorporate some good plant protein um, main options there from the whole plants, like your lentils and, and vegetables to um, something that's a bit more meaty in texture. Um, so it's there's something in there for everyone, including some sides and desserts. To me now, they all sound delicious. For example, one of the sides is maple, garlic, roasted sprouts. And all of the ingredients there are just normal ingredients that everybody would have in their kitchen. There's garlic, olive oil, maple syrup, um, fresh thyme, black pepper, and then the sprouts. Like That sounds like a wonderful side that everybody can enjoy. And you mentioned the, the miso mushroom soup as well. It sounds fabulous. But tell us more about the seitan roast. Where did you come across that? Is that associated with a particular country? If you like, look at all of the, a lot of the meat alternatives um, in the supermarket, so from your sausages to the, the vegan turkeys and stuff like that, you'll see on the, the ingredient list that one of the ingredients is uh, wheat, wheat gluten. Um, and what gluten is, it's it's a protein that gives basically it gives that kind of meaty texture to to, to foods. So um, the vital wheat gluten, it's it's it comes in a flour. It comes like a flour. Um, so it's basically like working with a flour. You can't now it's it's tough to find in supermarkets, but you'll find it in any like kind of health food store, your Holland and Barrett's, your, you know, so it's quite easily accessible through those stores. Um, and so it can't be replaced with another flour, but it just gives that, it just helps create meals that are just that bit meatier in texture because I know there's always this thing around, um, oh, well, if you're going vegan, why are you trying to, you know, make foods that taste like animal foods? And it's not it's not that people are moving over or becoming vegan because they don't like meat or anything like that or the taste of it or the texture of it. Um, it's it's because it's for, you know, eth ethical reasons or environmental or, you know, and um, so they still want 
the foods that they've you know that they've grown up with or that they've always kind of known so the seitan roast was my like simple solution to i know it's been made across uh, many times by lots of different um uh, chefs and plant-based chefs but it's just that solution to having that something a little bit meaty on the plate well it is a fabulous collection of christmas recipes have you plans to to do another one maybe later on next year coming into the spring for example yeah i'm hoping for i'm 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 planning something for around the easter time and that type of thing bringing in some um plant-based foods and creating a menu around that for easter well it all looks fabulous serena congratulations on putting such a great collection together and it is free for anybody that wants to to get their hands on an e-copy Absolutely. All they have to do is go to my website, um, serenalu.com, um, and you just pop in your details and download your free copy. Amazing. Well, look, great to talk to you about it tonight and have a wonderful Christmas dinner. Are you hosting or are you going to your, your family for Christmas this year? I'm going to my family, which I'm excited about because I haven't spent Christmas with them in a few years. So um, I've said that I am happy to do some of the cooking and they were like, oh, I'm excited to try some of the foods. And that's the beauty of these recipes is that people get curious and they're like, they look at what's on your plate and they're like, oh, can I try a little bit of that? So it's really get it's it's because at the end of the day, what matters most at Christmas is is the connection with people and stuff like that. But food is food is a big part of it, but it helps people with like these recipes are, are crowd pleasers and they're guaranteed to, to impress anyone that's around you. So um, I'm excited to cook for them this year and they're excited to try the foods too. Fantastic. Well, look, enjoy that. Thanks again and have a happy Christmas. Thank you so much for having me on, Sharon. And if anyone wants to find out more um, or find out about working with me, you can just pop over to my website, serenalu.com, or you can find me on Instagram or Facebook at Serena Lou Nutrition. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break we heard all about Serena O'Reilly's vegan lifestyle and be sure to go to serenalou.com to get that free collection of recipes so you have them to hand. And earlier on in the show Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants joined us to share his recommendations and suggestions for Christmas drinks. If you're just tuning in now and you missed any of that, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And before we finish up tonight, a big congratulations to Roots Cafe in Kilmeady who are celebrating their first anniversary. So they've been in business a whole 12 months today. Congratulations to all the guys involved in that fantastic social enterprise. And that brings us to the end of the programme tonight. Thank you so much for listening and to my guests, Ron Forrestal and Serena O'Reilly. I'll be back next week to talk to blogger Katia Valadeau to find out all about her recent visit to West Limerick. So until then, bon appétit. <laughs> Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!